Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out. A big thank you to everyone who's tuned in online. However you're joining us today, I just want to say how happy I am that you're here. If you're new, as a church right now, we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew, and that brings us to the passage we're studying today, which is Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, where Jesus speaks to the religious leaders of Israel, as well as to you and me, about the signs of the times. The signs of the times. Speaking of the times, I personally love this time of year and it's the warm weather. Maybe it's the beach days. Maybe it's all these different things. There's a lot to like about this time of year since we have to endure that cold New England winter. There's a lot to like about the warmer uh, months of the year, but probably one of my most favorite things to enjoy this time of year is getting to pull out my Traeger smoker on the weekends to cook up some delicious smoked meat. Now for me, I love it all. I love doing brisket, which is the Mount Everest of barbecue. Um, I, I love doing uh, pork butt from which we get pulled pork. I love doing smoked chicken thighs. I love making uh, smoked appetizers such as pig shots or jalapeno poppers or what have you. But for me, my absolute favorite is smoked pork ribs. Can I get a hallelujah? All right. <laughs> Don't those look delicious? Aren't you ready to go home for lunch right now? All right. All right. I love doing ribs. But here's the deal. Ribs are expensive along with every other grocery item nowadays, right? Um, I get another amen. All right. You know, everything's expensive right now. And so not wanting to destroy the meat, uh, you got to be really careful to make sure you know when they're done. You don't want them undercooked. You don't want them overcooked because it takes so much time and it costs so much money. Now, the best way to make sure you don't overdo it or underdo it is to buy uh, a meat thermometer and to go ahead and probe that meat. You're looking for 200 degrees to 207 degrees for done ribs. That's when the uh, collagen and the connective tissue has broken down and makes them nice and tender. But here's the deal. Meat thermometers are even more expensive than the meat. But the good news is this. You don't have to have expensive instrumentation in order to make delicious ribs and get them just right. You can do this by paying attention to the various signs that the ribs themselves will give you if you're paying attention concerning them being done. Sign number one is this, drawback. If the meat pulls back three quarters of an inch from the bone, you know the ribs are done. Sign number two, is when you can take a little toothpick and you can slide it through the meat and there's no resistance. It's like putting a toothpick through butter. When that's the texture and the feel uh, of your, your meat, then you know that's a sign that your ribs are done. Sign number three is if you can twist the bone without any resistance. You know how people talk about, oh, that was fall off the bone tender. Well, literally, that's what you want. And so you got to make sure you wear gloves because those bones are hot, but you give it a little twist. If it doesn't move and it's still connected to the meat, you know your ribs are not done. But if it twists and just slides with no resistance, you could pull it right out if you wanted. Now you know the ribs are done. So even if you don't have expensive instrumentation to tell you the exact temperature, there are signs to let you know when the time has come for the ribs to come off the smoker. Now, as it relates to our topic today, the signs of the times, 
the Jewish people living in the first century, their concern was not the doneness of pork ribs, okay? They didn't eat pork, so that was not their concern at all. But they did have a concern. And their concern was missing the time of Messiah. That was what they were. I'm concerned this summer about messing up my ribs because they're expensive and it takes a lot of time. The Jews of the first century had a different concern. And their concern was missing the time of Messiah's arrival to the earth. But God the Father did not want the Jewish people being uh, fearful and, oh, I'm going to miss it. It's going to be, oh, I just, uh, he's going to come and I'm not going to know and then I won't be saved. And God didn't want them having that fear. God didn't want them having that stress. And so God graciously provided a number of signs that would indicate to them, not the doneness of the ribs, but that the time of Messiah had finally come. Sign number one was the sign of fulfilled prophecy. God told the nation of Israel way in advance that when Messiah comes, he will be the one and the only one fulfilling all these very specific prophecies. God told the Israelite people way in advance that when their Messiah came, he would descend from Abraham through the line of David. He said, when he comes, he'll be born of a virgin. God told the people when he comes, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but he's going to grow up in Nazareth, but only after spending a stint of time in Egypt. And with many other specific prophecies, God foretold what it would be like so the people would know the signs that Messiah had come. Sign number two was the sign of the forerunner. God said, when Messiah comes, you'll know it because his ministry is going to be preceded by a forerunner, a herald who's going to announce his arrival. And this herald won't be any herald. He will be a herald who ministers in the spirit and in the likeness of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. So when you see this forerunner, you know that it's a sign that the time of Messiah has finally come. Third and finally, God gave them the sign of miracles. Did you know that God specifically reserves certain miracles to only be performed by Messiah? So that no one would be confused concerning whether or not Messiah had come. So all throughout the Old Testament, you have no one opening the eyes of the blind, making the lame walk, making the deaf hear, or making the mute sing for joy. But then when Messiah came, you saw an explosion of all these very things. And God intended that this would be a sign to the people that they would know that the time of Messiah had come. And friends, when Jesus came to earth and began ministering, I mean, he didn't just do the miracles. He fulfilled the prophecies. He didn't just do the miracles and fulfill the prophecy. He did the miracles, he fulfilled the prophecy, and his ministry was preceded by a forerunner who ministered in the spirit and likeness of Elijah. His name was John the Baptist. That's right. Now, God intended that the Jewish people would see these signs and would interpret them to mean that the time of Messiah had come. When you look at the signs on a rack of ribs, you interpret the signs to mean the time to take the ribs off the smoker has come. And in the same way, God intended the Jewish people to see the signs and make the conclusion that the time of Messiah had finally arrived. 
But is this what happened? Tragically and sadly, no. Though Jesus came and performed all these signs, the religious leaders of Israel, instead of seeing them, recognizing them for what they were, and believing on Jesus unto salvation, they instead said, now these signs aren't good enough for me. Jesus, I want to see even more signs. Jesus, I know you've done all the signs that God the Father promised that Messiah would do when he came, but that's not good enough for us. Jesus, we would like you to perform some signs that we ourselves have just made up out of thin air. And if you do them, we'll believe. If you don't, we won't. And friends, that is what we see in our text today. As we study this topic, the signs of the times. All right, we see four different things in our text today. Uh, for those who are new, maybe you came to watch a friend be water baptized or a family member. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Just so you know, we always have lesson notes at our church. And if you would like to take notes along the way, now's a great time to pull those notes out. Of the four things we see in our text, the first is this. The first thing we see in our text is the confirmation. The confirmation. And we see this in verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Here, the religious leaders of Israel come together to ask Jesus for confirmation via a sign from heaven that he really was sent from God to perform his miracles by the power of God. You see, during Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders of Israel continually questioned that Jesus was sent from God, and they continually questioned the source of Jesus' power. Jesus was opening the eyes of the blind. He was making the lame walk. He was making the deaf hear. He was making the mute sing for joy. So as much as the religious leaders would have liked to have denied his miracles, they simply could not. Not being able to deny that he was doing miracles, they were left with the only option to deny that the source or the power for his miracles actually came from God. So if you look with me at Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, what you'll see is the argument of the religious leaders. They said to the people, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, which was just another name for Satan, that Jesus casts out demons. So they couldn't deny the miracles, so instead they denied the source of their power. They said it came from Satan, not from God. Jesus, of course, made the argument that Satan wouldn't empower one of his emissaries to undo his work, because that just makes no sense. So here was Jesus' argument to the people. No, no, I'm not doing this by the power of Satan, friends. It is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons and that I perform miracles. Well, in our passage today, the argument over the source of Jesus's power rages on. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees come together, and this is akin to the Republicans and the Democrats coming together. These were two different groups in the first century that didn't like each other, didn't agree with one another, saw the views, uh, had different views, and saw things very differently, yet they were united in their hatred for Jesus. 
So they band together, they come to, so, so like when you and I read it, we just go, oh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus. But when a first century uh, person read that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are working together? What in the world? That's how we're to take this. This is a surprising thing. Now they came together to test Jesus. They said, Jesus, we have a test from you and this is going to settle things once and for all. If you pass the test, we'll believe. If you don't pass the test, then we will continue not believing. Now, though they came with a test, um, acting as if Jesus passed the test, they would believe. In reality, this was a disingenuous request. This was not some test that they gave in hopes that Jesus would pass it so they could believe on him and be saved. No, they issued the test in hopes that Jesus would fail publicly discrediting himself in front of the people. So don't view these uh, people here, the religious leaders, as sincere seekers. Uh, they are people that are hoping they will issue a test that Jesus will fail, thus discrediting himself in front of the throngs of people that follow Jesus everywhere he went. And here was the test. Jesus, show us a sign from heaven. All the things Jesus had been doing thus far, if you think about it, were done here on the earth. And they said, Jesus, that's too easy. We want to see you do something in the sky. And that's what it means. Show us a sign from heaven. You say, Mike, what do you mean? Show us something in the sky. What they were saying in essence is this, Jesus, just go ahead and cause the sun to stand still like God did for Joshua. And then we'll believe Jesus. Just go ahead and cause the sun to move backwards like God did for Hezekiah. And if you do, we'll believe God, just go ahead and rain down fire from heaven like you did for the prophet Elijah. And if you do that, then We'll believe. But again, this was an insincere request. They had no intention of believing no matter what. And that's why their request for confirmation results in the second thing we see in our text, which we'll call the accusation. The accusation. We see this in verses two to three, where Jesus says this to the religious leaders. He says, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, you say, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So Jesus says to them, when at nighttime, the sky is red, you go, oh, tomorrow's going to be nice weather. Because based on your experience, when there's a red sky in the evening, the next day tends to be nice weather. Conversely, if you wake up in the morning and the sky looks red and threatening, you read the signs in the sky and you say, oh, today it's going to be stormy. No good weather today. Bad beach day. Don't go today. He says, you have the ability to interpret the signs of the sky. Why do you not have the ability to interpret the signs of the times? And friends, this is Jesus's accusation. He is accusing them of being uh, so spiritually dull as to not see what's so obvious in front of them, that he is the promised savior of the world. So they're being obtuse, they're being dull, and they're being so intentionally. So Jesus accuses them of being dull. That's the accusation. 
Okay, let's next note the, the third thing we see in our text, and we're going to call this the condemnation. So Jesus accuses them of being dull, and now he uh, vehemently condemns them for their stubborn refusal to believe. Take a look with me in verse 4. Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Now, this is kind of confusing, right? Because in the Old Testament, Moses asked for a sign and God was happy to provide one for Moses. This is confusing because in the Old Testament, Gideon asked God for a sign and God was happy to provide one. So the question begs, what was it about their request for a sign that made it evil and made them an adulterous, spiritually adulterous generation? Friends, here's how it works. If there's something that God wants us to believe and he hasn't yet provided verification, a basis for faith, God is happy to provide it. I mean, our faith as Christians, it's not a blind faith. It's a faith based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. God has given us a sign, a basis for faith in which to believe. And when he wants us to believe something that's really important for us to believe, he's not against providing a sign. However, God considers it an evil thing when he wants us to believe something, has provided sign after sign after sign after sign after sign after sign, and we say, I won't believe unless you'll give me even more signs. And that's exactly what the religious leaders were doing. God knew that the Old Testament Israelites would have trouble believing that Moses was sent from God. And so God miraculously empowered Moses to do mighty feats and to perform mighty miracles. So the people would have a basis of faith to believe that Moses was sent from God. Likewise, God knew that the first century Jews uh, would have trouble believing that Jesus was sent from God. So he super in, supernaturally enabled Jesus, just as he had Moses, to perform miracles so that the people would have a basis for faith. But having provided the verification needed to believe, God is now really infuriated at the evilness of their hearts. Because in asking for yet another sign, what they were revealing is this. They had no intentions of believing ever. When Jesus cast out demons and performed miracles, they said, oh no, that's not legit. He's casting out demons by the power of Satan. And had Jesus uh, rained down fire from heaven, had Jesus caused the sun to stand still, had Jesus caused the sun to move backwards, had Jesus given them the sign from heaven that they were asking, they would have just come up with some way to explain how Jesus wasn't actually the one responsible for said miracle. So do you see, God is saying, you are wicked, you are evil, you are perverse, you are spiritually adulterous as a generation, because though you've been given all the signs you need to understand who Jesus really was, you have stubbornly refused to believe. So that's number three, the condemnation. And now that you've seen that, let's note the fourth and final thing we see in our text, and we'll call this the vindication. The vindication. 
Let's look again at verse 4, but this time we're going to focus on the latter uh, part of the verse. Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. And now he says, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Remember, the context is that the religious leaders are asking Jesus for a sign. So Jesus says this, the only other sign that you're going to receive beyond the 80,000 signs that I've already provided for you is the sign of Jonah. Take a look with me at Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, where Jesus explains this. Just as Jonah spent three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus here, of course, is referencing his resurrection from the dead. And what he's saying is that my resurrection from the dead will be my ultimate vindication. Here we've argued for this three-year period of my ministry. Where does my power come from? Who truly sent me to this earth? And though I've given you many signs, one after the other, you still refuse to believe that I was sent from God and that the source of my power is from heaven, not from hell. He says, you're asking for signs. I'll tell you, I got one more coming from me. And it's my resurrection from the dead. The sign that is like the sign of Jonah. Okay, today we have a lot of new people. So again, I'd like to just pause real quick and explain. What we do as a church is we study a particular text. We work our way through trying to understand every word, every phrase, every sentence. And once we've done that, we now seek to make practical application to our lives. And so that's what we're going to switch gears and get into now that we've worked our way through the text. Friends, the application today is pretty straightforward. God wants to make sure that you and I do not receive the same accusation that Jesus made against the religious leaders of Israel. God wants to make sure that the same accusation that Jesus leveled against the Jews in the first century is not the same accusation he might level against you and me. Take a look at what's coming on the screen. Jesus' gripe with the religious leaders was that they couldn't interpret the signs of the times. In context, this means they didn't understand what stage of God's plan of redemption they were living in and didn't know what role God wanted them to play in his plan. They didn't understand the signs of the times. And you and I need to be careful not to make that same exact mistake. Let me explain. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought down upon themselves the judgment for sin, the penalty for sin, which was death. And since we all descend from Adam and Eve and all have the same sin nature that they have and all have sinned just as they have, we too have the sentence of sin pronounced over us, which is death. So we 
corrupted the good world that God originally created through our sin and rebellion against him and God's just penalty for us doing so was to issue over us the decree of death. God is a just God, and when his law is violated, a penalty must be paid, and as scripture says, the wages of sin is death. God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat the fruit is the day you shall die. The day you shall bring the sentence of death upon yourself. So when man sinned, it brought himself under God's judgment. And God would have been perfectly just to let us, mankind, just live under his sentence of death. That would have been justice. But friends, God's not only just, he is also loving and kind. Because of his justice, there had to be a penalty for sin. But because he is loving and kind, God provided a way by which mankind could escape the terrible penalty for sin. And so God initiated a plan of redemption. And as we study scripture, what we learn is that God actually kind of came up with different stages that when all of the different stages were, were executed, you would have sinful man forgiven of their sins and living forever in the kingdom of heaven with him. Let's talk about those stages for just a minute. Stage one in God's plan of redemption was to create the nation from which the Messiah would be born. So God used Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to create the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they stepped up and they were willing to play the part that God had for them to play in stage one of God's plan. Moving on, stage two. Once God created the nation from which the Messiah would be born, now he said, I got to get this nation into the land, the land where Messiah will be born. And so God used Moses to bring the uh, Israelites up out of their slavery in Egypt because Egypt was not the land where Messiah was to be born. And so God used Moses to bring the Israelites up into the land of Canaan. You might know this as the promised land. Because it was the land that was promised that the Messiah would come from. And so God used Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And then God used Joshua to bring the Israelites into the promised land. So Moses stepped up and Joshua stepped up. And they played the part that God had for them to play in stage two of God's plan of redemption. That brings us nicely to stage three of God's plan. Stage three was for the Messiah, Jesus, to be born into the world. He was to be born. He was to grow up and he was to begin his ministry, which would culminate in his substitutionary death on the cross. He was to take upon himself the punishment for sin, which is death, so that you and I would never have to. And Jesus came. And like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and like Joshua and like Moses, Jesus too stepped up to the plate and said, God, I will serve your purpose in this stage of your plan of redemption. Well, friends, guess what? After stage three, a new stage began. Stage four. And guess what? It's the stage you and I are living in right now. And stage four is all about the church of Jesus proclaiming to the world the good news 
that God, through Jesus, has provided a way that we can escape the fierce punishment for sin, which is death. And we can escape it because Jesus took that punishment upon himself on the cross. So friends, we're living in stage four of God's plan. There are more stages to come, but you and I live in stage four. It's the stage of the church. And the number one job of the church is to preach the gospel of Jesus, to preach the good news of Jesus. Now, knowing what stage we're living in and knowing what God wants from the church, we, the leadership of this church, our directional leadership team, the way that we are responding to what God wants is we are giving ourselves 100% to filling this region with Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching, disciple-making churches. Because the number one thing that God wants in stage four of his plan is for the gospel to be preached. And the number one way that the gospel is preached is through the ministry of the local church. That's what we're doing. The application question I have for you today is what are you doing to join in with what God wants to see happen here in stage four of his plan? Friends, here's your next fill in the blank. Here's the application today. Let's understand what part of God's redemptive plan we are living in and let's step up and play our part. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to not be able to interpret the signs of the times. And friends, just as there's signs that ribs are done, when you can poke that toothpick through, when you see the drawback on the bones, when you can twist them easily with no resistance, it's a sign the time has come for the ribs to come off the grill. And in the same way, when Messiah has come to earth, when he's fulfilled the messianic prophecies, when he's performed the messianic miracles, when he has died a substitutionary death on the cross and in fulfillment of prophecy has risen from the dead, that is sign that the time for the church to do its job has come. He's died for the sins of the world. What glorious news. We don't have to personally pay the penalty for our sins. And now the job of the church is to proclaim that good news to the world. And friends, that's what we need to do. Now, if you happen to have your personal strategy for how you're doing this and you're knocking it out of the park, I literally give you permission to tune out for the rest of the sermon because you are already exactly where God wants you to be. But if that's not where you're at, then let me give you a few suggestions of how you can be a part of helping the local church do its job of preaching the gospel to the world. Okay, number one, you can become an adventurer. For those who are new, this is the name we've given to those who are willing to make a six-month commitment to go help the new church location in Agawam that we will start this fall be a smashing success. 
We need 200 people. We already have 172 of the 200. There's less than 30 spots left. Even with 172, we're going to slay it. It's going to be awesome. But, but 200 is just the absolute ideal. And after 200, we're going to cut it off. Just say, no, 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 no. Please don't join. We need critical mass to be successful there, but if we have too many, then we'll hurt us, the sending location, and that's not what we want. So the perfect number there is 200, and we are well on our way. We got plenty of time, and just, but if you're one of those people, I want to help, and that's what God's calling me to do, then sign up to be an adventurer. Uh, number two, second suggestion is this. Instead of going away from here to Agawam to be an adventurer. Number two, you can step up to the plate and backfill a serving role here in Enfield. Of the 172 people that are heading off to Agawam, uh, about 100 of them serve somewhere here in Enfield. And now that they're leaving, wonderful opportunity has been created for so many of you who attend here to step up to the plate and rise up during this time where there's a need to help the church preach the gospel of Jesus. I'm so excited. It was just last week that we first announced that we need people to step up. We already have 30% of those spots filled. After one week, 30% of the spots are already filled. Oh, we're gonna totally get all the people we need. It's gonna be great. We're gonna hit it. But friends, why, why wait? Why wait? Just why wait? Step up and find a place to serve here in Enfield if you're staying. All right, number three, another way you can help is you can give. And the number one way that you can do this is to simply be faithful in your tithes and your offerings. It's the number one way you can help. Now, beyond that, if you have the gift of giving and you'd like to give a gift above and beyond the tithe, you can do that now. You can do it this fall as we enter into our uh, annual Christmas offering, uh, whatever the case might be. But if you'd like to step up and exercise your gift of giving, giving above and beyond the tithe, uh, you can certainly do that. And that's maybe the way that you want to help. Finally, number four, and now I'm speaking to the six or 700 of you that attend online every single week. Uh, you can attend in person once a month for six months. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to make a commitment to attend in person once a month for six months. In that way, you can serve. Now, many of you are already serving who attend online, and that's awesome. If that's the case for you, I'm not even speaking to you. I'm speaking to those who attend online but currently don't serve. You could help us to preach the gospel and fulfill the role that God has for us as the church to play here in stage four of his plan of redemption. And you can do that by attending in person once a month here in Enfield or in Agawam for the purpose of serving. And we certainly hope you'll do that. Friends, let me just wrap things up and we'll close in prayer, okay? Can I just summarize everything we've talked about real succinctly? Stay with me for just one more minute. Today we've been talking about the signs of the times. That means you understand what stage of God's plan of redemption you're living in right now. The Jews did not understand they were in stage three. Not only did they not understand, the religious leaders of Israel specifically did not understand they were living in stage three and God had a specific job for them to do in that stage of his plan of redemption. 
And because they didn't know what season they were living in, and because they didn't step up to play the part that God had for them to play in that season, they received the strictest and severest condemnation. And lest we be guilty of the same sin they were guilty of, we need to understand the signs of the times. We need to know what season it is in God's plan of redemption. And we need to step up and play our part. Jesus did. Moses did. Joshua did. Abraham did. Isaac did. Jacob did. And now it's our turn to do the same. And that's what I'm inviting every single one of us to do. Step up in this season and play our part. And what a privilege that we are invited by God to do so. He doesn't need us for his plan of redemption. He could have chosen the angels to do it. But friends, he chose us. And what a privilege to get to join him. The way I view it is this, God, you've saved my soul. How amazing is that? I'm so undeserving, but thank you for doing that. And God, my thank you back to you. The way I express gratitude back to you is to now join in to help others be saved the same way you've saved me. And God, what a privilege it is to do so. Friends, my prayer is that you would adopt that attitude in your heart and that you would step up here in stage four. Because you know what? The other stages are coming and they're all going to culminate in the time where Jesus rules forever over his kingdom. And when that time comes, you and I will have wanted to do everything we could to help as many as people as possible to live forever in that kingdom. So that's what we're giving you a chance to do today. So what's God laying on your heart? And how will you respond? Let's pray. Those of you online, everyone here in person, everyone out in the foyer, uh, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Let's just focus in on God and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for not leaving us eternally damned in our sins. We're so grateful. That's what we deserved, but that's not what you gave us. And that's mercy, us not getting what we deserve. And God, even more than mercy, you gave us grace, giving us that which we did not deserve. We didn't get what we did deserve and we are getting what we don't deserve. And God, that's why we show up each Sunday to worship you. You're such a good God, loving God, kind God. We thank you for not leaving us damned in our sins. We thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us from the penalty for sin. And God, now that you have done that, we understand from the passage today that it's now our job as the church to step up and proclaim this good news to the whole world. And God, we know the number one way that that'll be done is through the ministry of the local church. And so, God, we just ask that you would clearly guide us. Uh, which step do we need to take? Maybe it's one of the ones listed. Maybe it's some other step. God, but whatever step you want us to take, just lead us clearly so that we will never be guilty of not knowing the signs of the time. God, thank you that through your word, we can know the signs of the time. We know what season we're living in. We know what you want for us. God, all that's left to do is for us to step up just as the godly men and women of the past have done throughout the ages. God, now it's our turn. Help us, God, we pray. Lead us clearly. Put us right where you want us to make the biggest impact we can for the kingdom of heaven. Because we're on a mission to depopulate hell and to populate heaven. And as hard as this is, with God, all things are possible. So we ask for your help. 
and we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, Mike. Well, we learned a lot today. And if you're a believer, you now have your next step in discipleship. You now have your next step to help, like Mike said, populate heaven. But if you're not a believer, your next step is actually to consider becoming one. And why would you do that? Well, it's because we just talked about today. We're all guilty of sin. We're all guilty of rebellion against God. And the Bible says that the penalty for that sin is death. But we know that Jesus died a substitutionary death. Jesus died on the cross, being completely sinless himself, not to pay for any sin of his own that he didn't have, but to pay for all of our sins. When he died and resurrected from the dead, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and he made it possible so that when we ask Jesus to forgive us for our sins, he can forgive us. When we ask Jesus to set us free, he'll set us free. It doesn't matter what you've got going on in your life. There's nothing that Jesus can't overcome. And he will if you ask him to. He'll set you free from the penalty for sin. And that's why we're doing what we do here. Every single person who got baptized today in all three services, like I said earlier, there are over 40. All those people have given their lives to Christ. They've said, Jesus, help me follow you. Forgive me for my sins. And that's the faith that they went public with today through water baptism. That's the faith that I have myself as well. And that's the faith that I, and I know everybody at New Day, prays for you to have every single day if you haven't made that faith your own yet. So I just wanna encourage you, if today's the day that you wanna ask Jesus, set me free, Jesus, forgive me for my sins and set me free from that penalty, we're gonna be so excited for you because that is the best decision that you could ever make. So if you do wanna make that decision today, if you wanna join everybody who got baptized and saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus and I wanna make Jesus my Lord and Savior, I want you to take out your welcome card and check off the box that says, I've decided to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. If you're in person, we wanna get a Bible in your hands. So just take that out to guest services. We'll give you that Bible. We'll celebrate with you. We'll pray with you. And if you're online, we'll mail you a Bible when you use either the QR code coming up in the chat uh, on the screen or the link coming up in the chat. That's all we have for today. Thank you so much again, everybody, for being here, especially if you're here to support anybody who got baptized today. Let me just say again, it means so, so much to everybody who got baptized that you decided to come and show your support. So thank you again. We hope to see you all again here next week, same time, same place. And until then, God bless the rest of your Sunday. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you and we hope to see you again real soon.